I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Tyler Glass now is the ace of the Rays staff, and now he has a new pitch. How might the rest of the rotation shake out, including Chris Archer? And what will Randy Rosarina do for an encore to his incredible postseason? Brandon Lau has some new motivation. We'll tell you what that is. And is this the year we finally see Wander Franco? We're going to discuss all that and more with Neil Solons, the Rays pre- and post-game host, on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. This segment of Sports Day Tampa Bay is brought to you by Murata, where life is like a staycation every day. Contact them at MuradaStayK.com. Before we get to Neil, uh, Steve, some uh, some news about Vincent Jackson, of course, uh, who died uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, tragically. Um, he was 38 years old. He's been laid to rest. That happened on Wednesday in a private ceremony with just uh, family and uh, a limited number of friends. And, of course, he had the whole community would have been there had it been public, obviously. But the family did it privately, and um, uh, per his wishes, the family says that he will, uh, his body will be cremated, and he will remain. The, the, his ashes will remain with them. So um, they have laid uh, Vincent uh, to rest, and God bless him. May he rest in peace. Certainly um, was somebody that uh, I got to know and appreciate, uh, both as a player and all the things he did off the field in this community. It's irrefutable what an impact and a handprint he had. Uh, on on all of of those who came into contact with him as a business owner, as somebody that uh, helped military families and his Jackson in Action eighty three Foundation, which will continue by the way. Um, so I'm sure you can still uh, help those folks out and make donations to that uh, in lieu of uh, of anything else that you may have wanted to do to remember Vincent. So uh, that was the news. Uh, sometime I guess we got it on um, Thursday afternoon. So. Uh, also a pretty neat thing, uh, with respect to Antoine Winfield Jr. You know, Antoine Winfield Jr. is fast becoming one of my favorite plays to deal with and players to deal with. And he's only been in the league one year, uh, cause he's an old soul. He feels like he's been here for like five years and that's sort of the way he plays too. Um, but remember in the playoff game, uh, or actually it was in the Super Bowl mm-hmm. when he, uh, you know, put the, the, the two fingers up sort of peace sign up to Tyreek Hill, who did the same earlier in the season when they played in November uh, after uh, one of his touchdowns. He had done that to Antoine Winfield, so until Winfield returned the favor. It was weird he got flagged for that as a personal foul, um, and and he wound up getting fined as well. He got fined $7,815. Well, he paid the fine. I know a lot of fans wanted to, to pay that for him, and they easily would have, uh, but he paid the fine, and then he took that amount, and uh, he donated it to Young Middle School, which is a Title I school in East Tampa. And then the Buccaneers Social Justice Fund, they matched the donation. So over $15,000 now headed to Young Middle School in Tampa, which is cool. Uh, that's an awesome story. I mean, it was, it was cool that he did it. Look, 
by the textbook of what taunting is, he taunted. He deserved the flag in the Super Bowl. It was worth mm. it was worth every yard that they gave him. Fifteen, <laughs> yeah, yards. it was. Um, <laughs> after that was a turnover on downs already, so it was already your ball, and the game right. was over. Um, and and you know just seeing how Antoine Winfield Jr. acts and and even the way his dad was too. I mean, he's glad he's happy to pay seventy eight hundred dollars fine for that. It was worth it, as he said. And then he's happy to to donate seventy eight hundred dollars to young middle school in Tampa because that's just the type of guy he is. I mean, that's, you know, he's definitely about community and kids and giving back and stuff. And and the Bucks matching the donation is great too. Fantastic player. Going to be one of those community leaders and a guy that I think is going to go to a ton of pro bowls uh, and, and win a lot of games for the Bucks. If he's fortunate enough to stay healthy, his dad played 14, I think 14 seasons, uh, I believe in the NFL for the, for the bills and the Minnesota Vikings. And he never won a Super Bowl. Nope. Didn't get to play in one, and here comes his son, his rookie year. It was pretty cool after the game. You know, there's a lot of shots of family coming onto mm-hmm. the field, and I thought one of the, the most heartwarming ones were was when uh, uh, Antoine Winfield Sr. Uh, saw his son, and, and they, they had a long embrace. And uh, you can just imagine, first of all, it's it's cool when you, you know, you're at you're starting to see your kids play now and play sports, and there's nothing – I'm telling you, there's nothing more rewarding. I played – at the college level and had more fun watching, watching my son and now my daughters play soccer than anything I ever did. But I can't imagine what that must have been like for a guy that spent that many years in the NFL to see his son be a Super Bowl champion his rookie season. Yeah, it was incredible. And then, of course, Antoine Winfield Jr. got some new ink too. He did. And, and Tom Brady had something to say about that. <laughs> yeah. So so he got he got the Lombardi trophy, essentially, right? Yeah. Uh, tattooed a beautiful on, on, tattoo. uh, beautiful on tattoo. his is on his arm, I believe, isn't yep. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh and so what did Brady come back and say? Uh make sure there's room for more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got two arms and two legs, so we're good, big guy. That's Brady, by the way. Um I mean, that's absolutely Brady's who gonna he is. need to be an octopus if he goes one more. I mean Yeah, that's true. He's gonna run out of fingers for sure. Um, he's, he's up to seven now, so we're going to be putting these things on the guy's toes before long. But, uh, but yeah, that, that was, that was pretty cool. It was a beautiful piece of art. You know, who said prior to the game and he mentioned it after the game that he was going to get a tattoo of of the Lombardi was Mike Evans. Yeah. Well, we're waiting to see that one. So waiting to see where that goes. He's walking around going, what do you think? My neck, where should it go? (laughs) So you won the Lombardi trophy, put it anywhere you'd like. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) This segment of Sports Day Tampa Bay is brought to you by Breitling Boutique. You know, Breitling Boutique and International Plaza is one of only 15 in the United States, and they've welcomed championship quarterbacks and Hall of Famers and boxers as clients. But they treat everyone the same. They'll treat you like a celebrity when you come in, too. Just tell them Rick and Steve sent you. And just for trying on one of those beautiful Swiss timepieces, you will get a free Breitling cap. That's a $60 value. Breitling Boutique in International Plaza. Okay, Neil Solons joins us now, and Neil, uh, there is nothing uh, quite as satisfying to me as when they say pitchers and catchers and then the full squad are back reporting and we have spring training, you know, happening again. So um, I've been reading the coverage, of course, uh, in the Tampa Bay Times with Mark Tompkin and following you uh, on Twitter, as I always do. Uh, let's start with the ace of the staff because I don't know where we go beyond that, but there's plenty of, <laughs> plenty of uh, candidates for sure, but uh, I know that... Tyler Glass now, uh, coming off uh, what, what he's been able to accomplish already in his short career. Uh, Kevin Cash said the other day, uh, you know, he wished he could throw a baseball like that. I think we all do. <laughs> um, just what, what have you seen of him, heard of him? What, what is your, your opinions of, of a guy who is now, um, you know, sort of that, that ace for the, for the race? 
Yeah, I mean, well, I, the hair's longer, that's for sure. Um, and I think I can probably say that for a lot of guys on this staff. I don't know if that's COVID-related or not, but, um, you know, the hair's longer, the stuff is still the same. I mean, his his his, his pure stuff is electric, and, and I think, you know, with each year that he's been with the Rays, he has a better understanding of who he is and how he can grow. Um, and... You know, you're hearing the right things in spring training about him really working on a third pitch. And, you know, his first live batting practice, he threw it almost as much as he did anything else. And I think he Mm -hmm. realizes that as good as his pure stuff is, and look, he can be a two-pitch pitcher. There are very few guys who can, but he can. But I think, you know, pitching in this division against the Yankees and the additions the Blue Jays made to their lineup and, Boston will probably be better, you know, it wouldn't hurt to have a third one. And if he has a good third pitch, it doesn't have to be a great third pitch. If it's just good, um, I think he's going to be one of the best pitchers in this league. Well, yeah, and I would agree with you. I mean, it's almost unfair if he adds the third pitch and can command it because his stuff has been electric. When we talk about a rotation with the Rays, there's always that asterisk by it because we're not really sure what that means. But Neil, they got a lot of guys that have pitched a lot of baseball and have been in various parts of their rotations throughout their careers. Names that we recognize, some of them, some of them older players, and some that are back, like Chris Archer. So, what will a, what will a starting rotation, so so to speak, look like? Or will it be a situation where you might have seven, eight guys pitch over a hundred innings? I think more the latter. You know, when people talk the word rotation, I almost put air quotes in front of it. Um, right. You know, I think more of the term pitching staff. And yeah. and I think a lot of it just has to do with the circumstances. I mean, you're going from 162 games to 60 to 162. That's a lot of stress on an arm if you're a guy who went from, let's say, 180 to 200 innings back down to 60. And then what do you expect the next year? I mean, mm. I, I thought before the Rays had – the injuries they had last year to Brennan McKay, Yanni Chirinos, Jalen Beeks, Colin Pochet. After that, even before the Snell and Morton um, decisions and, and moves happened, I was wondering how many arms are they going to need to get through this season? What do they need to add? And and I think they thought the same way. Um, you know, I, I think you're probably going to have eight or nine guys that throw between 100 and 100 and 150 innings, you know, maybe 125 on average, you know, and I would put Glass now there. I'd put Ryan Yarbrough there. You know, you mentioned Chris Archer, um, Michael Waka, uh, who, who they acquired via free agency, Rich Hill Colin, and Colin McHugh, both of them free agents. And then some of the young guys, you know, like Josh Fleming and Shane McClanahan and uh, potentially Luis Patino. And I think you're really going to, I think this is going to be basically a big jigsaw puzzle that Kyle Snyder and, and Stan Borowski and, and the front office and Kevin Cash put together as to how to put however many pitchers they use. And let's remember, they used 34 pitchers in 2019, the last 162-game season, and they won 96 games. So they mm. utilized guys properly. Um, they never had a guy get to 200 innings. They had only one guy get over 150 innings that year. So I think they're kind of prepared to do this in that way, maybe a little differently than 2019, but I think because of the circumstances, they've come up with a game plan, which is, uh, um, you know, as much bulk as they possibly can put together and then piece it all together. Yeah, they do a good job of that. And I mentioned Chris Archer a little while ago. Um, look, he, he's no stranger to Tampa Bay. Um, had some, some, some rough times, an injury, obviously, that, that – uh, 
he's had to deal with. Uh, just a short interaction. Maybe you've watched him since he's come back to the Rays uh, over these last few days or weeks. What do you see that's different about Chris Archer? Clearly, his, he's been humbled by by those things I just mentioned. But um, what 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 do you notice about him? Well, beyond the fact that he's one of the guys who has shorter hair than when he um, <laughs> when he left, um, you know, I, I would say that I, um, I definitely get a sense that the the experiences that he had, and let's remember that last year because of COVID and his recovery from thoracic outlet syndrome with the Pirates. He didn't have baseball. He didn't have teammates. And and I just sense yeah. a greater appreciation for the game and, and what he missed last year. Sure. Um, I think he's going to be motivated by the fact that he's on just a one-year contract. Um, I think he understands more of who he is. I think he tried a lot of experimenting in Pittsburgh, trying to get better and realizing that what made him good was his four-seam fastball, his slider, and then occasionally his changeup. And I think he's going to get back to that. I think the Rays are probably going to utilize him maybe a little differently than they did in the past. You know, you mentioned how they might utilize a rotation. You know, I could see times where you have a six-man rotation uh, to give guys an extra day's rest. I could see times where they use a five-man rotation, but guys are almost piggyback starters, where you have one guy go four or five innings and then another guy go four or five innings. Um, And I think a lot of that is going to depend on who they're playing, what days off are coming and the status of the pitchers they have on the current roster. And and I think that at least right now, Chris is saying the right things in terms of being willing to do whatever it takes to win. When he left, the team was on its upswing and he wants to be part of that upswing and he wants to be part of a playoff team this year. And I don't blame him. Yeah. And I, I think what the Rays have done, um, Look, Neil, I don't, I don't think it's an accident that you're able to attract some of these free agents. Um, and, and I don't know whether it was Michael Walker or McHugh or some of these guys have said this, but they've seen what Kyle Snyder and, and the Rays uh, have been able to, um, you know, jumpstart or restart uh, some of these guys, especially on the mound. Um, which, which one of those do you think is, is potentially the most intriguing for you that could, that could get back to their previous form? I mean, obviously some of them have age like Rich. I don't, I don't know what more you can expect from him, but Walk is a really interesting guy to me. In terms of upside, you know, I think Michael Walk is probably the most interesting because he had a much higher strikeout rate and much lower walk rate than he's had in recent years last year. Mm-hmm. And yet, the, you know, there were some numbers that um, didn't look as good. And part of that was the home run ball. Well, we hear that baseball is supposed to deaden the ball a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the Rays make a couple of tweaks and you add that with a, a deader baseball, more balls in the yard, uh, maybe, you know, a, a fairly good outfield athletically in, in Tampa Bay. Um, it's not what you would call a great home run park to begin with. He makes some tweaks and all of a mm-hmm. sudden you're like, huh. I mean, and the other thing is, I think the way they're going to use guys, they're trying to, you know, they're not going to say, hey, we want to push you to 200 innings. Right. We want the best 140 out of you. We want the best mm-hmm. 130. We want the best 150. Mm-hmm. And we have a guy who can follow you up. And, and I think they're going to try and use guys, um, you know, in ways that they give themselves the best chance to succeed. I mean, let's say that everybody's healthy. And mm-hmm. to begin the year, and you could start with a big power lefty in glass. Now, this is just a, for instance, a, a, a big power righty in glass. Now, a kind of funky lefty in Yarbrough. You can come back with Michael Waka. Maybe the next day you're going with Rich Hill and that big curveball from a lefty. And then you go Chris Archer. And mm-hmm. then maybe even in game, you can go from 
you know, like a, a Rich Hill um, to uh, a big right-handed curveball like Colin McHugh. Or you can go from, you know, Archer, who's hard-throwing power guy, to a finesse, you know, ground ball lefty like Josh Fleming. And, and you're going to constantly be able to keep hitters off balance. And I think the Rays are going to be extremely mindful of that and trying to, you know, position guys where it's going to make it that much harder for the hitter and that much better for the pitcher they're using. Let me ask you about some guys uh, that we're not as familiar with. Well, we're familiar with a couple of them, but uh, let's start with Luis Patino. Um, hard thrower, right? Young guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how soon may we see him uh, play, play a role? Um, that's a good question. You know, I think I'm curious to see how he looks this spring. I I think they believe that he's got the ability to be a a type of the rotation of the league style type guy. Um, Mm. he's athletic. He's extremely bright. Um, he, he's got all kinds of tools. He was moved really fast. I mean, because of COVID, he pitched two games in double A at the end of 2019, Probably wow. in a normal year, he pitches in Double A to start the year, then goes to Triple A, then go to the big leagues, and he ends up pitching in eleven games in relief for the Padres, mm. uh, and then pitches in the postseason, and he's throwing up to hundred miles an hour. Um, so mm. I, I think that um, you know I wouldn't be surprised to see him begin the year with the veterans they have if everyone's healthy in Triple A, uh, and then whenever they feel he's ready, they you know they bring him up. Um, and he also hasn't pitched a ton of innings. So I think you could probably start him in AAA, limit his innings, and that way you have more innings for him to use at the big league level during the course of the year as it evolves. I know it's going to be a while to wait on uh, a Brendan McKay who's still dealing with an injury. One guy that's been dealing with him every year, and I talked to this poor kid at FanFest, <laughs> and every year we're, we're looking forward to it, and then something happens. But Brent Honeywell um sort of where is he um what will be his 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 big hurdles this spring obviously to stay healthy but um just a guy that hadn't been on the mound a lot in the last few years no and and all the things i hear are that and and from him and from those around him is that he's feeling the best he has since he had tommy john surgery in 18 Mm. um you know that the last procedure finally gave him that little extra Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I don't think he's setting any specific goals other than taking it one day at a time and who wouldn't after sure, you know, sure. having four procedures on his, on his pitching arm. Um, you know, so, um, for that reason, I, I would understand him kind of, kind of wait and see mode, but I think the biggest thing for him beyond health is just shaking off the rust. I mean, you know, he's yeah. a fierce competitor and he loves yes. the game and I think he's going to love being around teammates again. But he still needs to see hitters. And, you know, if his stuff is nearly as good as it was, he's going to be an effective pitcher. I mean, maybe they use him in two or three inning bursts. Like he could be, sure. you know, a guy who you could open with a couple times a week. Maybe, you know, let's say at one point you want to put, you know, let's say he's ready and you could put him for two innings and Rich Hill for five and then set it up from there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that would be kind of intriguing because he's a right-hander with a, you know, a fastball change-up screwball, and then you go with a, a lefty who's going to be totally different look. I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of that, a lot of that mix and matching as long as guys are healthy. They mix and match throughout the game. We know that. But the back end of the bullpen, I thought, was the strength of, of, of their staff a year ago. Um, does Nick Anderson, in as much as the Rays have a late-inning guy, is it <laughs> is it Nick's job or – um, will they continue to you know to sort of throw a lot of power arms in there? I think they'll sort through arms, but I 
I would think that the highest leverage moments, uh, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of compare that to putting your best corner on your best wide receiver, your best reliever sure. on your best hitters. They're going to sure. use um, Anderson, Castillo, and Fairbanks in the biggest moments to start the year and then see how things evolve. Um, you know, I think it, they did bring back Chaz Rowe in part, I think, because they believe he's going to be healthy, in part because if you look at the top teams in this division they're contending with, the Yankees are extremely right-handed, and Toronto is extremely right-handed. So adding another righty certainly made sense. Um, you know, at some point this year, they hope to get back Oliver Drake. They signed him to a major league deal and put him on the 60-day IL. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that another guy, they have a lot of guys who I think can help them. Rich uh, Ryan Thompson was really good as a rookie last year. Um, you know, Cody Reed is a guy they got from the Reds who had some injury issues. And I'm anxious to see how he looks this spring because, you know, he had two outings and one of them he was throwing 95-96 with a really good breaking ball. So, you know, I think they've got some really, really intriguing tools to work with. I sure do. The Rays always find pitchers and develop them uh, as they've done throughout the years. Neil, no better player in baseball and almost no better player in postseason history uh, would, would match what Randy Rosarena did uh, in the postseason a year ago. Um, what's, just, what's it like being around the guy now uh, to start the season in spring training? He, was, you know, he obviously wasn't with the, the Rays major league team early on a year ago, uh, to say the least. But how different is it for, for him given all his success and notoriety that he had in, uh, last year? You know, it, it's interesting. I actually, you know, uh, on our, our race radio blog, I wrote about that. Um, you know, listening to him speak the other day, um, he's and listening to his teammates speak about him, everything mm-hmm. seems the same. And I think that's probably the best thing. Um, he's sure. still going to use Brent Honeywell's boots at the ballpark for good luck. <laughs> um, he, uh, you know, yeah, he raced a, a horse in in his the area he was living in Mexico in the off season. Right. Um, Willie Adamas refers him first to him as the Latin version of Kevin Hart. That he is the life of the party. That he's always been an extremely funny guy, and guys love being around him. And none mm. of that has changed. Um, and you know, this team is such a good group about keeping one another relaxed and loose. Mm-hmm. But I think the feeling is is that it won't allow Randy to feel like the weight of the world is on his shoulders and he's got to right. do X, Y, and Z. There's certainly a ton of joking, well, what is he going to do this year? Well, he has to hit 60 or 70 homers. That's what he was on pace for last year. <laughs> um, but I think realistically, because I've been asked this a lot too, if he gives you between 20 and 30 homers, drives in between 80 and 90 runs, and hits above an 800 OPS – I mean, that would be far above what they were getting from their left field DH production last year. So um, if they get that for a full season and he plays a solid outfield, I'd be thrilled with that. Um, if, if I, I don't want to put the I don't think it's fair to put the Mike Trout type, you know, Mookie Betts type numbers on him. You know, he was he was in historic territory. If you look at his two months last year, I think I looked it up. 17 homers, including the postseason, and less than 170 plate appearances. Not at bats, Goodness. plate appearances. Plate appearances, like, wow. Yes, that's like, that's like better than Babe Ruth territory. That's not going to happen. And so, yeah. at least I don't think it's going to happen. But I'm going to enjoy him being a really good player, though, for sure. Uh, they may, as they used to do with Barry Bonds, walk him like a poodle. Uh, if he uh, if he gets in situations, he gets hurt him. It was fun to watch him. Uh, I, You know, another guy that... 
I, just the outfield intrigues me, right, about the Rays, and they always mm-hmm. have this surplus of outfielders. Kevin Kiermeyer, obviously still the leader of that group out there. Um, but, you know, Meadows to me is the guy, uh, you know, two years ago when he hit over 30 home runs. Last year got the slow start with COVID, a lot of weird things going on now. Um, Neil, I guess he's he's lost some weight. He's down around 218 yeah. or so. Um, he must feel a little rejuvenated after what was a very strange year for him. Yeah, I, I think, you know, he admitted he needed to get back to who he was. And um, whether it was the, the pandemic, whether it was COVID, whether it was a combination, um, he obviously was not the same guy in 2020 as he was in 2019. And people forget he was the co-MVP of the team with Charlie Morton two years ago um, Mm -hmm. and hit more than 30 homers. And, you know, I definitely think, uh, I don't think similar to, to Randy, I don't know what's fair to expect, but if he's in Randy territory, maybe not, that wouldn't be as good as 2019, but it'd be pretty darn good. And, um, you know, I, I think he feels that he's now athletic again, that, you know, he's got that quick twitch thing going, that he's going to be quicker in terms of his hands at the plate. Um, quicker uh, on the bases, quicker on his routes. And um, I think that, as you know, this game is so mental that even if he's feeling that way, it's probably going to yield better results overall. Um, And I just think about if he could be close to the 2019 player, if Randy Rosarena can be a really good player all year. And, you know, Brandon Lau, like if you look at what he could be in a full season, because he hasn't had that, he was injured part of 2019 last year wasn't a full season i mean you're talking about three guys that would be fairly elite level offensive players in this league and and the rays haven't had that in their lineup for a long long time aside from but i don't even know if 2008 you would count them as having three elite players in their lineup but this would be pretty darn close to it sure would uh and you mentioned lao who you know at times absolutely could carry that that team uh, mm-hmm. with his bat and did so but then the postseason came and he unfortunately you know had to suffer even though he hit a big home run or two he had to suffer through what was just a, a horrendous slump at the biggest stage that I guess he talked about it the other day and and I'm just wondering you know you've got a full season ahead of you right you you you, you want to get back to that stage again but but how much do you think did did he say that that sort of war on him um you know trying trying to atone for that if you will he's pretty driven um he's a guy who always i think in a good way carries a chip on his shoulder he doesn't settle mm-hmm. for anything and i i don't know if i'd use the word embarrassed but he he really felt bad about he almost felt like he'd let his teammates down even though they got to the world series like yeah i was there as a good teammate but i really wasn't there um as a mm. player and he challenged himself in the offseason. He basically said, okay, I'm going to use pitch machines and I'm going to get, you know, I want their, I want the machine throwing their best sliders. I want to see the best fastballs I can see. I want to prep myself against mm. the best I can see because that's why I didn't hit in the World Series. That's why I didn't hit in the, you know, in the ALDS and ALCS. And I think people forget that too. They, they look at what happened to the Rays in the last three weeks of the postseason and forget that if you went into 2020, and said, who are the best teams in baseball, aside from the Rays, everybody would have said Astros, Dodgers, 
Yankees, right? I mean, if <laughs> you were to go going into 2020. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, and you faced those three teams back to back to back <laughs> where they could line up their pitching accordingly. You were in a, yeah. uh, an environment yeah. where you couldn't watch video in-game, where yeah. you were playing in front of little crowds or no crowds, where mentally you're stuck in a bubble. I mean, there were so many different factors. And, and, and I think Brandon made no excuses and said, okay, this is what happened. Well, I got to find a way to get better. And I think that's what's made him the player he is and, and why I think he's so appreciated in that clubhouse and why the Rays signed him in a long-term deal because, you know, I think that's the kind of individual he is. Well, they certainly were smart to do that, and uh, that's that's bared out. Um, you know, one guy that and, – and, and, Neil, you've seen this, uh, players that have come from Japan, uh-huh. um, really any countries, but particularly Japan – if they haven't played here, uh, I mean, there's an adjustment. There certainly would be an adjustment for any of us uh, going there. I've been to Tokyo. Believe me, culturally, there's so much, so much is much is different. But so much was expected of of, of Yoshi um, Susugo, and I'm just wondering, um, you know, how much was just the familiarity, right? And again, he came in during a pandemic, a lot of weird <laughs> stuff. Not not the normal American baseball that he probably thought he was signing up for, right? So so with all of that, hopefully removed down the road. Um, is he look more relaxed? Does he seem uh, more at ease now? At least that's w- what we're hearing. I mean, I thought he was more relaxed in summer than he was in spring. I don't mm-hmm. think he got the results he wanted, and I thought that was very difficult for him. Um, you know, I think he went back home. He acknowledged that you know he is his weight may not have changed, but he feels more he feels stronger and more fit than he was at this time a year ago. So. You know, I think now he has a better idea of what to expect, at least. Um, And I think he feels that he's going to give himself a better chance of being the Yoshi from Japan that the Rays, you know, were were trying to sign initially. Um, You know, I, 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 you know, I can't imagine not only, you know, is it a different culture and country in the middle of a pandemic, but I mean, you're also talking about, I think there are a lot more pressures coming from Japan to show that you're, you deserve this. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. the players from, there are so many players who come over from the Dominican Republic and Venezuela, but the number of players from Japan or Korea on the offensive side is smaller. And I think they probably want to show, Hey, our, our, our baseball is just as good. We can stand up we, you know, it holds true here. Um, and hopefully having gotten a year under his belt, he now knows what to expect and, and can perform, you know, I don't think he has, he doesn't have to be a superstar in this lineup because we just touched on, you know, you got Meadows, you've got Rosarena, you've got Lau, we haven't even touched on Yandy Diaz and some of the guys who could join the team at some point during the year. I think this is a better offensive club than a lot of people realize. And the versatility of that lineup. I mean, you got guys. I, I know that uh, Lau, for example, has uh, going to get some time at third. Maybe Brasso mm-hmm. at short. I mean, is that just more of of the versatility they want in their lineup uh, to stack it the way they they feel suited, or what? Um, you know, in Brandon's case, it, there was something that, that Kevin Cash said that intrigued me. That he said, you know, maybe we can. It would allow us to keep Joey Wendell at second a couple more times. Mm. Okay. You know, that like you could put Brandon because Brandon is an out, plays outfield, too. So he's got the stronger throwing arm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think Joey and Brandon are pretty equal defensively at second base. If Brandon's got a stronger arm and can play third, you know, you, you could put, you know, one at third and one at second, just flip flop them, you know, for some of the games. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe that gives you a better defensive group. Maybe it's also looking down the line at who might join you at some point during the year. Who knows? Um, because <laughs> there are a lot of prospects who could impact this group. Um, I'm not quite sure overall, but, you know, I think that 
as much as this team uses its roster and because of the fact that at least right now, unless the players association and, and ownership agree, we're at a 26 man roster instead of 28. So, and I think Dave has always talked about this on our broadcast that when the Rays are at their best, they made 25 or 26 look like 28 or 30. And I mm-hmm. think the more guys can move around, the better you, the more in-game moves it gives Kevin Cash to be able to put the best hitters on the best pitchers in the best moment for his team. No doubt. And their farm system is what you got to beat, too, because they, they mm-hmm. end up being the best 40, 45 players uh, in baseball, and that's been the Rays' strength. So I'm going to start with the guy that we all want to see, <laughs> Neil, and, and I'm not sure last year helped him at all. Um, but Wander Franco is the best uh, prospect in baseball. Um, I know he hasn't spent a ton of time, obviously, um, working his way up the ladder as they, as they normally would. But how much can he force himself uh, based on just his ability and his incredible talent um, to get to the majors this year? Uh, and and when, would, when might that be if he does? It's a good question, um, and it's kind of the million-dollar question in camp um, because I, I do believe that 2020 hurt a lot of race prospects and, and I would definitely put Wander in that group. Now he did play at the alternate site. Mm-hmm. Um, he struck up a friendship with Randy Rosarena. You know, he got to be around this team for the world series. I think that was valuable, but he lacked game experience. And, right. you know, this is a guy who finished the 2019 season in high A. So you could have envisioned him going from double A AA to triple A to coming up in September. Sure. And, and because there was no normal season that didn't happen. So is he good enough to begin in AAA? Do they feel he needs to start in AA? I think, you know, those are questions to answer. I don't expect him to start the year at the big league level. I expect that him mm-hmm. to, his play will determine when he joins the Rays. Um, mm. I think the thing that I hear that I like a lot is um, he is willing to play second base or third base in addition to shortstop to get to the big leagues faster. So, um, you know, we'll see how I'm sure that when, assuming he starts the year in the minor leagues, which I would, um, I think you're going to see, look at box scores and see him playing different spots. And I think how quickly he acclimates himself to that and, you know, just how well he hits upper level pitching will click, quickly determine how well he helps the Rays. And if he's healthy and performs, I would expect sometime this summer we'll see him. And nobody, uh, you know, really that I know follows the farm system as, as as well as you. And I'm just I'm curious, who are some of the other names that during the course of the year, a Rays fans may may become accustomed to? Do you think? So on the hitting side, there's probably three guys that I would look to most quickly um, in terms of potential impact. You know, mm-hmm. let's say the um, Taylor Walls is is a kid out of Florida State who I think because of Wander he gets. And, and some of the others, he gets under uh, underappreciated a little bit nationally and even locally. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people believe he's as good an infielder defensively as Kevin Kiermeyer is an outfielder defensively. Um, wow. And he switch hits and he runs well and he's got some pop and he started to figure it out at the alternate site. And I would think he begins the year in AAA. And I would say the same is true for Vidal Brujan, who's um, a homegrown, dynamic leadoff type hitter who also switch hits, who's the fastest uh, or best base runner they have in their organization, um, who can play second, short, and, and the outfield. Um, 
and then Josh Lowe. Um, I guess if your name is, is spelled L-O-W-E, <laughs> um, you have to be somewhere in the organization of the race. And right. Josh is Nate's younger brother, who was the top pick from several years ago. And yep. had it not been for COVID and, and the pandemic last year, he probably would have been in AAA last season and could have been called up at some point. So I would think he'd begin AAA in, in, in this season. Um, but those are three hitters. And then on the pitching side, you know, obviously Shane McClanahan making his big league debut. I think he could be on the opening day roster. I think he could also be starting in AAA. Um, but I think he's definitely going to help. I think Josh Fleming could be in a similar situation. He could be a bulk guy. He could be, you know, um, a piggyback guy. He could be a starter. Uh, I'm not sure. But I think the way he pitched in place of Yanni Chirinos, I think he was impactful. Um, and then, you know, we mentioned Honeywell. The other guy I would touch on who also – you know, his time missed was was um, an issue is Joe Ryan. I mean, this was the minor league pitcher of the year in the organization in 2019, and he struck out like 180 some guys and 120 some innings. And, you know, he finished in double A and I'm thinking, hey, he could go double A, triple A big leagues in 2020. And that never happened. So for each individual player, they're going to have to figure out, does he skip a level? Does he stay where he was going to be? How do we determine that? And a lot of that will have to be on look and feel. And I think the Rays have a, a good look and feel for their guys. And I'm anxious to see how it plays out. And obviously, health will be a factor, too. And as we know, you go from you know last year to this year, 60 to 160, there are going to be some injuries. And, and I think the Rays are, are well prepared for that with the talent and depth they've accumulated. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, well, if you're talking about the Rays and the American League East, they are the American League East champions. They're the American League champions. So uh, coming off that title in the ball club that we've just talked about, um, how do they stack up against the rest of the AL East? And, of course, that begins with talk about the Yankees. It does, and and I think that um, it is interesting that – and I know who they lost, but a lot of people are picking the Rays like second, third, or fourth. Um, I don't, in fact, I don't know of anyone who's picked them first, um, which I think is okay because I think the Rays are almost better off when they're, you know, an underdog, uh, type situation where people are, are thinking less of them. I think this group carries a chip on its shoulder. You know, I, I think the Yankees are interesting because they lost some people too. You know, they lost Jay Happ, they lost James Paxson, and, and maybe most importantly, they lost Masahiro Tanaka. And they brought in Jamison Tyone, and they brought in Corey Kluber, but those guys really didn't pitch last year. And with all the circumstances we're talking about, we don't know what you know those guys are going to be able to do in a full season. I think Garrett Cole um, is is the the pitcher that most teams would want right now, um, you know, to headline a rotation. So obviously he gives them an ace, and they have a really good bullpen um, per the norm. You know, they still have Chapman and, and, you know, they still have Chad Green and they added Justin Wilson and Darren O'Day to Zach Britton. So they're going to have a thick bullpen. Um, but I am curious how their starting pitching lays out. Um, 
Um, and similarly, you know, the, the Blue Jays made some really good additions. You know, I love adding Marcus Simeon and George Springer. You know, offensively, they're heavily right-handed, but they're going to be much better. Um, and, and I think it will make them better defensively, too, because that was a weak spot. But I still wonder about their starting pitching because, you know, you can look back at the history of Hanjin Ryu, and he averages 20 starts more often than he averages 30 starts in a season. Um, and then Robbie Ray is a guy who has had, you know, consistent trouble throwing strikes. Um, and, you know, Tiana Roar, you know, is, is not what you would call a top-of-the-rotation guy. Nate Pearson is top-of-the-rotation stuff, but he's not, not pitched more than 120 innings in a given year. So I'm curious about their overall starting pitching depth. That said, I think, you know, them going to the postseason last year, believing in who they are, having a really young, talented core, you know, I think makes them a really dangerous team. And I do think Boston is going to be better. You know, I'm anxious to see it, it really, for me, Rick, it's a war of attrition, um, I think, in this in this division and for that matter, this league, because, you know, we've never, ever experienced anything like this going from 162 to 60 to 162 and how teams handle it and respond and um, the one thing I, I will say for the Rays is I think of all the teams, the one that I think is best equipped in terms of depth um, and just having to handle adverse situations would be them. So, you know, I think that hopefully works to their advantage this year. And, you know, there was times, Neil, you probably don't remember, but, you know, the pursuit of baseball in Tampa Bay lasted a while. We finally got a major league team in 1998 that began play there. Now we have two major league teams. One is the Toronto Blue Jays starting the season in in, in Dunedin. So I guess the good news is that when you when you play the Blue Jays uh, on the road, if you will, it's not that far of a trip. Um, how do you think they'll uh, they'll adjust to, to having a new home uh, in Florida at least for part of the season? Well, their hitters should like it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, for sure. I, I mean, if you've been over to Dunedin, the ballpark in Dunedin for spring training games, that ball will fly. Yeah. Um, I, I'm guessing their pitching staff may not be that enthused about it. Um, I'm curious <laughs> what the lighting is going to look like um, because they've got to upgrade it. Yeah. And generally speaking, yeah. you know, um, your your minor league ballparks, um, you're, you're playing spring training games by day. Your lighting is not going to be the same. So um, I'm curious how that plays in terms of, you know, blind spots or, or backdrop and how well the hitters can see the baseball at night versus the day. Um, and how well the ball carries at night there. But by and large, I, I think that a group that has Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio and Springer and Simeon, um, you better bring the lumber into Dunedin this year. This segment of Sports Day Tampa Bay is brought to you by Moffitt Cancer Center. Moffitt is a proud partner of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Contact them at one eight 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 Moffitt M O F F I T T. Switching just a bit to a little college football news, uh, Steve, I don't know if you've seen this. It's a, been a long-awaited pursuit, and apparently uh, they're going to break ground on this thing sometime, I guess, in the summer maybe of 2021. Is that what it sounded like? But the USF Bulls have long wanted and needed an indoor uh, practice facility, and that is apparently going to happen. Yeah, apparently they've done enough fundraising now, and so it's supposed to open, I believe, next summer of 2022, I think. So, mm-hmm. um you know, it's something that many of the other teams, particularly in the South, have, although in the North you need it too, just for the opposite reasons of winter weather. Um, you know, as far as recruiting and all that, to be able to get out of the heat and do some practicing. The Bucks have theirs at one buck place. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, colleges all over have this now. And, you know, look, colleges and recruiting is really an arms race. How nice are your facilities? How nice is this? How, is. You your know? uniforms. How many combinations you got? You yeah, it's, I mean, it's all this is important in recruiting. And, and for USF to want to continue to grow the program and, and for Jeff Scott to bring it back to where it has been and hopefully to higher levels, um, you know, you've got to keep up with the other teams in this. And they finally, after three-plus years, have the, the money to, to build the facility there on campus, which will be great. It will be great. And I remember, you know, of course, for years, the Bucks needed a new training complex, which they finally got. And they talked about building an indoor facility for what seemed to be almost a decade. Um, and they finally got one a couple of years ago. And it is magnificent. It cost, that one cost $40 million, which is about twice as much money. But it's got all the bells and whistles. And look, it's NFL money, right? We get that. Um, but it's made a difference because uh, if you've ever – had a kid that's played youth football or high school football or really any kind of sport, youth baseball, you name it, you know, growing up in Tampa, it's really hard uh, to know what the weather's going to do. It changes so rapidly. And in the summertime, about the time that football kicks off, you know, with the fall program, which is actually in August, uh, which is sort of the summer ramp up, um, you're getting, you're getting, you know, wicked thunderstorms on a normal day every afternoon, about four or five o'clock, and they can last for a long time. And, and it just, it, it's very difficult to sort of schedule around that. You know, I think, uh, Jeff Scott said he, he never was watching, uh, the weather, you know, reports as much as he did last year in his first year as a head coach and just trying to, you know, trying to figure out what do you, what do you do if you've got weather coming and you don't have a way to get out of it? I mean, that's the thing. Like they, they didn't have a place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's made a difference for the Bucks. I think, not just because of inclement weather, but also I think it refreshes your team. I think if you're out here dragging through the heat, um, you live in it already, so you're exposed to the dehydration just living in it. And then you compound that with practices five, six days a week in it. I'm here to tell you, uh, you know, you may say a team from up north is going to struggle in the heat, but you know what? They come down and they're very hydrated where your team could be in trouble before they hit the field because they've been out in the sun sweating to death all year long. So I think it's maybe not for one game, but over the course of an entire season, mm-hmm. it takes a lot out of you. And and I think it's been a I think it's been a great tool for the Bucks. Um, you know, not to mention they they play some games indoors and you know, you can always adjust to the artificial turf and stuff like that. But um, let me tell you, it, it, it is a it is a bonus when you can escape the weather and the heat the way it is in the summer. This segment of Sports Day Tampa Bay is brought to you by Marina Bay St. Petersburg. Luxury waterfront homes where sports fans and enthusiasts live and play. Marina Bay is a 60-acre gated community on beautiful Boca Siega Bay. All new construction is available right now. Contact them at MarinaBayStPete.com or call 727-906-3300. Got some sports to watch this weekend. The Dallas Stars, finally, they get to play the Dallas Stars. They've had uh, uh, several on, attempts at on. that. I think all plans are soft until confirmed 30 minutes prior to game time. I mean, that's the way it's gone with the Dallas Stars this year. Sure, I'm telling Lightning. you, man. It's been incredible <laughs> how, many, how many false starts they've had. The NHL Stanley Cup rematch uh, should be Saturday at Amelie. We'll see if they actually can play that one. And then the Rays and Braves, the first spring, spring training game is already here. It's on Sunday, which is going to be awesome. So baseball is back. I can't wait. There's no better sport, in my opinion. I know I cover football. Don't at me. But if you do, <laughs> at NFL Stroud. That's right, NFL Stroud. I guess what my Twitter is. I get it. But uh, baseball is the thing, man. I love it. 
So uh, hope you guys have a great weekend. We're here every Monday through Friday. For Stephen Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.